No, we're not. We won't. We shalt. 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 We shallant. It's shalt. It's shalt. You got to make a compound word. Shallant. Shallant. We shallant. We shallant be deceived. <laughs> right? It doesn't sound right to me, but I don't know. It's, no, it's, it's, not, it's definitely not correct. All right. Shallant. Welcome to Blacktop Pulpit. I am Andrew. I'm a pastor at the church at Sunsites. I'm here with uh, three of our church members, Ken and his wife, Kathy, and my wife, Katie. And, uh, well, we're here talking about someone's sermon who cannot join us. His name is Steve Basio, and today, it's Sunday, uh, he was appointed as an elder of the church at Sunside. So today, I guess we'll talk about appointing elders and talk about mm. you know, some things that he said during his, what do you call that? A coronation sermon? <laughs> That's not what you call it. It's not being coronated. What's happening here? Appointation sermon. Ordination sermon. Yeah, there we go. Or, uh, but Affirmation. Affirmation. Yeah. Oh, an affirmation. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, ordination is not even really in the Bible, the way we practice ordination today. No, you know, not necessarily wrong, but just doesn't fit right. Yeah. No, it just, yeah. I like coronation. Coronation. Yeah, coronation. That's a good coronation. King Steve. Frozen. Oh, is, is that a dinner? <laughs> it's when you, like, get knighted and stuff, right? I don't know. Wait, we did it you without swords? You get crowned. Without swords. Dude, if we start, like, like affirming elders with swords... <laughs> yeah. That that would be so cool. I mean, come on, please bow. <laughs> I know. Fantastic. <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that signed up. First I thought time. I was OCD. Oh man, I saw it and I was like, no. <laughs> we, we are we are in competition now. Oh man. Well, yeah, oh, hold on. Hold on. Wait, no, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be a little, gotta be a little eclectic. This is a bad idea of putting them next to uh, You just mentioned we're not gonna get anything done, right? <laughs> I did. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, what do you guys think? Um, appointing elders in the church. Um, I'm gonna talk about this issue and then uh, and then move on to Steve's content in a sermon. By the way, I, I think he did great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was all right. It was a topical sermon. Mm hmm. Surprise, there's a place for that even in an expository church. So, right. <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, I love that you introduced the, the, the issue of, did you say the issue of elders in the church? Is be, I would say that's actually a very, a very fitting term because what's the issue of, of elders in the church? It's that there, there aren't. Mm-hmm. So, you have too, yeah. too many churches where they're just led by a pastor. And yeah. those churches, are doomed. <laughs> I mean, mm. To say, put it nicely, no man, no no one man has uh, the ability to to lead a a congregation by himself. Uh, no. Uh, in fact, I was listening to Alistair Begg. And he was talking about the the election. This was prior to uh, President Biden's you know election into office. And Alistair Begg was talking about the office itself. Uh, he wasn't talking about one candidate or the other. He, he was talking about the office of president itself. Mm. And he says, quite literally, in the United States, we place so many burdens upon the office of president and consider that office to be so high that quite literally no man can fill that office Um it, it's really like we create a little Messiah for ourselves. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that's almost what Alistair Begg was getting at in his, in his sermon. I don't remember the title of the sermon. It's been a few months. <laughs> you know. But uh, the same is true for, for the office of pastor, uh, for the office of elder in the church. And that's because people uh, in our flesh, in our sinfulness, we have this amazing tendency to try to elevate people, put people on a pedestal. And, uh, and no person can feel that role that most people say is a pastoral role. And the sad reality in our culture is um, there are all these unspoken expectations of the guy who has the primary responsibility to preach and teach Mm -hmm. unspoken expectations because he is the 
pastor. Uh, the reality for any local church, there's no such thing as the pastor, even if you call a guy that. It's no, there's a body of elders there, a plurality of elders. Right. Um, because if you don't have that, who's pastoring the pastor? And some guys will go, some guys will go, well, we have our associational meetings once oh. a month, and I meet with fellow pastors, and our our director of missions, or whatever we call ours, our, our associational leader, our AL. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's, he's a pastor to the pastors, and that is so unbiblical. <laughs> yeah, it's not healthy. No, um, you, the reality of being committed to a local church is it's not only one pastor saying to his congregation, "Like you need to be committed to a local church." But the pastor is also committed as a member of the church, being pastored in the context of that congregation. Who is his pastor? The other elders mm-hmm. are his pastor. Now, I wanted to make that very clear this morning. I think I voiced that well enough. Yeah. yeah. That's something a lot of people don't think about. Where's the pastor getting his spiritual nutrition? Mm-hmm. His regular diet of the word. His podcasts. <laughs> I love podcasts. Wait, blacktop pulpit. <laughs> don't pastors don't get your spiritual nourishment from this podcast. You are shepherding yourself. You're gonna watch it later, right. aren't you? I I will review it later. <laughs> oh, I watch it. I did so good. Yeah, I agree with myself. I agree with me. So yeah. by my words. Oh, I didn't even think about it that way. <laughs> That's such a wise thing I said. No, it's, uh, it's there's a mutual building up in the body of elders. So that's that's what it needs to be. Yeah. yeah, a regular diet. That's the same as if anybody isn't committed to the body of believers. If an elder is not committed, and I mean committed in such a way, not just I have to be here, so I'm here, right? Because that's my position, I'm getting paid for it. I have to be here, I'm here, I'm shepherding the flock. But no, committed as a member of the church to the local congregation in such a way that he, even the guy who has the primary responsibility to preach and teach, even he is receiving encouragement from the other elders, admonition from the other elders. They know his history. They know his the sins that he struggles with. They know his life. They know the mistakes that he has made mm-hmm. in the context of that congregation previously, and they can pour wisdom into his life. That's Every pastor needs that. Which is one of the reasons you have so many pastors burning out and quitting mm-hmm. is because they're, they're the, the one guy. The one guy. Or, yeah. or you have a pastor and an associate pastor. <sighs> Even then, even then you're creating an unhealthy hierarchy, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and the buck stops with one guy. Right. Uh, well, no, that's like a mini papacy in a local church. It's, mm-hmm. it's not cool. And we've adopted that from like the military structure of, of the government, I think, as far as just like, you know, one one man calling the shots because, you know, primarily because of disagreement. So if there's one person that has ultimate authority, then you don't have to deal with disagreements. But obviously that introduces a big problem, not just in the church, but in the governments too. (laughs) Especially when you have anything like democracy. (laughs) And especially when you have, like we have here, anything like congregationalism. Now Mm -hmm. ours isn't like hyper-congregationalism. Ours is elder-led congregationalism. So the elders appoint the new elder, but then the congregation affirms. Mm -hmm. The congregation affirms. And that's that's an important step, I think. Yeah. I think it's a healthy, healthy church government. What do you ladies think about all this? Yes. <laughs> I, I agree. Well, when you were talking about the, I like how you were talking about how you, the other elders work, work together and they know your sins and what you all know each other. I think it also keeps um, a humble, a humbleness to each of the elders, you know, yeah. so you don't, yeah. I mean, if you're the only one calling all the shots, like you said, man, that could get to your head really quick. Like what I have Look what I have created. Look, look how many people are coming because of me. Yeah. Or you start feeling really bad about yourself. Look how many people have left the church because mm-hmm. of me. That's a and lot. You take all that burden on yourself, mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's not any one person's burden to bear. Right. Um, this this thing is a team effort, and since it's elder led congregationalism, like even the elders are accountable to the congregation at yes. large, and that's written into our system of government. Uh, the congregation has a lot of a lot of pull. Um, for sure. Yeah, that's the, the first, oddly enough, and I've, I've done a lot of studying of um, why am I suddenly blank? Is ecclesiology? Yeah. Um, 
We've done a lot of study on different different uh, methods. I think, I think you're looking for the word epistemically. <laughs> but but really, here we go. Stop me off. We just, we just created a new category, epistemically. <laughs> oh, we got to put eschatology in there somewhere. Epistemeneschatology. I, I haven't heard of uh, congregational, you know, elder-led congregationalism. Yeah. So that that fits with the, some of the conflicts that I've had over different ones. Cause I've, I've leaned heavy on an elder led churches. Yeah. Um, but I've out of in a practical way and I never lean on practicality, right? Practicality word right. for, for informing my theology, but I've seen the, the issues of like, like solely elder led churches mm-hmm. with no, no, like, decision-making abilities or, or any type of, you know, um, a whole holistic church approach to leader, um, to, to leading the church or to running the church. Yeah. Um, cause historically I've, I've been pretty, pretty against congregationalism, but then when you like mentioned hard congregationalism, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That gets real day. We have to vote on sending cards, vote on the color yeah. of the church carpet, vote on committees. We have a committee on committee on committees. We have a, we have a, a <laughs> What other committees are there? A committee to form committees. Committee to form committees. Right, right, right. <laughs> and then their deacons then, end up taking control anyway. And then you have those quasi elders. Yeah. Well, then, then you have the church serving in the function of elders when they're not qualified to do it. Right. So that's why I've always been against. It. But then you, you you say this word like no, elder led congregationalism. I'm like okay. I'm like that fits more with what I see practicing, yeah. you know, in scripture because because even from a simplistic you know. Uh, approach of of what we did today of affirmation you have the elders who who need to be the mature ones who understand the decisions they're making who who are guarding against doing things in error which is so easy to do for everybody um but then you have the whole of the church who who should also be maturing and should also know proper things to do um and 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 they're they're affirming which we do see we it's very brief and that's where like yeah. the, the idea of congregational comes from like i don't remember what, what passage it was but literally like there's one spot where you can kind of defend congregationalism and it's like you you affirm or you say i or something like that it was i, I totally i'm blanking on the yeah. passage it was something like that like what we did today it was x6 yeah x6 literally the, the only place the deacons. yeah okay and the 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 apostle said hey, it's it is not right for us to and neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait tables. So, and the apostles bring up the idea, why don't you select from yourselves seven men that have a good reputation and bring them to us? So the congregation then selects mm-hmm. seven men to uh, 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 nominate, nominates the word, to nominate as, they didn't have the name for the office, as servants. Right. That's what deacon means, right? Servant, the yeah. People who to wait the table so that the apostles could focus on the ministry of the word, leading spiritually. So there you have apostle-led, which becomes elder-led, mm-hmm. and congregationalism, the congregation choosing these men, and the apostles going, yes, we give these men our blessing, and it, it was good with all the people, and after that, no one was being neglected. It worked, right? Yeah. And so it, that seems like a pretty good model to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's also you know, great to see like the, the, the reality between the importance of being a servant, because here it is. It's like, it's not like, Hey, find among yourself people who don't have anything to do. <laughs> yeah. so, and put them to work. Yeah. <laughs> Say we're recruiting you for something. Sorry right. about that. Like, yeah. <laughs> you really have no gifts. So why don't you wait tables? It's like, no, it's like you yeah. select from among yourself. Like the, this theme, those people that, yeah. that know the word and, and have proven themselves to, to love each other and to serve well, like, and then appoint them. That's, that's fantastic. That speaks a lot too, to, to the office, you know, what you call now the office of deacon, um, whether or not it was named and, and any of you, if you don't name it, have them serving, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, I, I think, I think words are important, you know, uh, specifying things like that are important to, to understand, but more important is the function you do, you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, titles really aren't that important. On Wednesday, uh, we're looking through Matthew's Gospel. Jesus is talking to the crowds about how they should treat the Pharisees and the and the Herodians and the Sadducees, mm-hmm. you know, all those groups. And uh, he, one of the things he tells the crowds, don't be called teacher. You only have one teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> don't be called father. You only have one of those. Don't be called 
rabbi. You only have one rabbi. That is Christ. <laughs> and he's talking about himself, right? And uh, it's not that the titles are bad, but they are so insignificant, right? Um, we are here to learn from Christ. And the only, and the whole thing Jesus was getting at in that passage, I was in Matthew 23. The only, the only thing Matthew was, uh, Jesus was getting at in that passage was uh, learn from Christ. And those who teach you should teach what Christ teaches. Listen to what they say, but since they are hypocrites, and they're teaching the law really well. <laughs> Listen to what they say, but since they're hypocrites, don't do what they do. Right. Tell, that's how he tells the crowds to, to respond to that. So, yeah, it's, a, it's important. Titles, titles don't matter. The function matters. And for the elders, it's shepherding the people according to the standard of God's word alone. And for the deacons, it's practical service to the congregation. And it's just an easy way to, to look at it. Yeah. You know, it really is that simple. We, we're so good at making things complicated. No joke. <laughs> so, you know. No joke. Oh, man. Let's stop recreating and coming up with new ideas. It's really the, like the simplicity of the things that were, were, were placed work. We yeah. don't need to improve upon them. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I, I think it would be good of us to hire an executive pastor in charge. Oh, no, <laughs> I'm too close to you. Don't leave me. Latest not a temptation. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so when... <laughs> When Steve made that comment about turning the other cheek, I'm getting yeah. a, I'm getting a yeah. sermon now. He made that comment about turning the other cheek, and he's like, "But after you hit that second cheek, uh, all, there's all no telling. Yeah, all, yeah, all bets are off, or whatever." <laughs> Katie leans over to me and says, "Don't we have four cheeks?" No, no. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was like, I don't, said, I don't want anybody slapping me there. No. <laughs> From no. the pastor's wife. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, so you said, you, he said, turn the other cheek. And you said, well, don't you just have two? And I said, actually, there's four. <laughs> I skipped, I skipped a little section. Yeah. Okay. That's just a lot of opportunity for forgiveness. Yes. <laughs> people, people We'll start doing that in church. We may have a different yeah. sermon coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. Retract, retract. retract. <laughs> what kind of church is that? <laughs> oh, man. The best one. <laughs> All right. I don't know what else you guys want to talk about about uh, Steve's sermon. But... I, <laughs> I um, love how he introduced us. And said, what I'm going to say, it's going to be hard for, for some of you to hear, you know, it's like difficult. And, and then he goes on to just quote a bunch of scripture. And I'm like, man, isn't that the truth? I'm sitting here thinking like he's going to get all personal and like specific example. Like he reads through scripture and he knew like this is about to bring some offense. Why? Mm-hmm. Because it's the gospel. It's the, yeah, you know, it's the like, word. And he knew he knew when he goes to scripture, yeah. um, when when we are confronted with the holiness of God and his perfect word, um, we either you know are humbled and brought to our knees yeah. or we are puffed up mm-hmm. and angered and, and and stirred up. And it, and that's what he knew was gonna happen when he reads from the Bible. And most of his sermon was straight scripture. Yeah. Legit. You know, like if you're gonna do a topical sermon, that's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Just say, here's my topic and read all the Bible verses. Yeah. Like you can't do any better than that with a topical sermon. Mm-hmm. That's that's a way to make a topical sermon biblical right there. Right. But make sure people get the context too. Definitely. Uh Judas hung himself. Go and do likewise. No, no, no it's, you know that's not the top of the sermon you want. Okay, it's, I'm just pointing to random going? verses. I actually, you know, actually get the context in there too, so people can hear the context. It's like, uh, don't go and do likewise. Way to zing people from the scriptures. <laughs> Judas, Judas, himself. He led, he led by example. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh no. my gosh. No, I, I, I appreciated that. I yeah, think I think too. that was a great way to, to, to bring us into the message. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Oh, ladies, you said this fit in with your yeah. story. Oh, by the way, this yeah. is a crossover episode. Yeah. 
Black top up and secret women stuff. Right. Because <laughs> uh, again, this sermon was about well, a lot of it was about forgiveness yeah. and um, forbearance. And he actually read from Colossians three, which is what we the scripture yeah. was in the Should we read it? In the book. Yeah, read it. This is uh but now you also I'm gonna get a little bit more of this in here if that's all right. Context. Therefore, so I need to go before that. Oh, therefore, I need to go uh -oh. before that. Oh, we're just gonna have to read the whole of Colossians. <laughs> That'd be really enjoyable, actually. All right. Uh I'll I'll read starting in chapter three, verse one. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Interesting phrase there. Mm. We can talk about reprobation later. Mm. Verse 7. And in them, you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. No qualification. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Yeah. Uh, important context. Very important. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing to me. Anytime you start talking about the biblical definition of love and forgiveness, mm -hmm. That's what gets the most people up in arms. Yeah. I, I don't understand it. It, it, it breaks my heart. Uh, it's also amazing that right around when something like this is being preached in church, God, I don't know, dredges up a whole lot of stuff that needs to be uncovered. Mm -hmm. And it's and I'm and I'm sitting here like Steve's preaching that, and I'm sitting here dealing with my my own life and my own heart and like question, questioning my own motives and. Uh, and I know, I know some others were too. But as yeah. soon as you start reading in the Bible what it says about forgiveness and, and love and not not holding anything against anyone, and Nita read from First uh, Corinthians thirteen before the sermon, like the love chapter, as right. don't hold grudges, don't hold anything against anyone, don't bring up the past. Don't, mm -hmm. And it's like, dude, in my sinful flesh, I am a terrible, terrible person. Mm -hmm. And I, I think those passages are meant to bring that out. Like, how 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 do we fail to love others? So it's yeah. So the book is focuses a lot on marriage, but I just I always find it so uh, interesting and fun to see how it it's not just marriage. It's it's your church family. It's mm -hmm. your kids. It's your you know your parents or whatever. It's any relationship at all. It all correlates and. Um, the scripture, when it was talking, it's talking about those attributes, um, put on kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another in the book, they're talking about how a lot of that is, um, inward. So like you can't forgive or forbear until you, uh, clean, like, let's see, I took some notes here. Uh, 
like you have to deal. So the humility and meekness um, is you need to deal with uh, the pride in your own heart or um, <clears throat> becoming a humil a, a humble person before you're able to really see like, yeah. and you're even able really to totally forgive because if you're not, if you don't deal with that sin in your own heart, you're just going mm -hmm. to always feel entitled or um, what's another word? Offended. Offended or yeah, you know, so it's not just a, oh, I have to forgive because God told me to forgive. You can't, you can't forgive. Yeah until you until you're yeah. clean and you know until you work on those and yeah. well, that's and that's what i mean that's what the gospel is all about and the church's place and and sharing the gospel and seeing people come to christ and then be sanctified it's not just okay now do these things it's we want to actually see you free from the mm -hmm. oppression of your sin mm -hmm. and people love their sins so much and it just it keeps them bound for a long time and it affects everyone in their lives. Mm -hmm. And then you hold on it, hold on to it and justify it for so long that it just becomes second. Even if you're in Christ, you know, um, if someone can be in Christ and, and suppress sin for a long period of time, it's, it comes to the surface with a, with a vengeance yeah. and you, and you hurt people. Yeah. You know? And you hurt yourself. I feel like, like yeah. if you're, if you're talking yeah. about holding, holding on to stuff in your marriage obviously that's going to affect you like our relationship it'll affect my relationship with the kids but it, in the church it also it just it affects your relationship with the whole body your whole family your whole yeah. church family like and it, it it's hard for me to watch like uh church family members like hold on to it because I, I'm, I'm looking at it like oh like don't don't close your eyes to what's here you know just yeah. because you're hurting or whatever like don't forget like there's so much love like everybody if you get offended or you get hurt and you're you're reacting and he's steve said that a lot too uh what did this he said uh make feelingless or something like that like, yeah yeah mm -hmm. don't rely on your feelings so much because your feelings are so fleshly a lot of the times mm -hmm. and you're going to miss out on the love and and you're going to miss seeing the people your family right in front of you and who they really are just because you're so offended all the time you know yeah, and if if in church like somebody comes to you with something it, yeah our first nature would be to be defensive and like whoa mm -hmm. well what about you you know mm -hmm. but i think we have to realize that we are the family of christ and as family members it's it's what's the word not an obligation well maybe an it obligation is. to go Required. to and be like hey i love you so much I want to discuss this with you so we can work through it together. Yeah. You know, it, it, that's what families do and that's what we are. Here's, here's a good illustration <laughs> for admonishment. Yeah, oh yeah. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm looking at you cause I, I'm looking for permission to tell the story. <laughs> so he <laughs> said he's an open book. So yeah. go ahead. All right. I, I could take it back later, but it'll be too late. <laughs> Ken, Ken yelled at me cause I wasn't a coffee snob. <laughs> He <laughs> was admonishing me for not taking care of my coffee grinder. Uh, by the way, you didn't brush the grounds out uh, with a brush. That's you why I said you got to get a brush. <laughs> <laughs> but you're leading me into sin. <laughs> and that's usually the response when you go to somebody about their sin. No, you're leading. No, you're sinning. It's your fault. <laughs> it's your fault. No. Um, when we, when we do come to one another, like with concerns, and that's what we should do, even if we misunderstand something that might be going on, yeah. we come to one another with our concerns and say, hey, brother, we ask the question, and if we're incorrect in our observation, so be it. Hey, sorry, I thought that about you. Right. right. Um, but if it turns out we're correct in our observation, there are two things that are going to happen. Our brother or sister is going to repent not to us but to god right because we only do that when it comes to matters of sin not just personal offenses we saw that in the text personal offenses forgive yeah and, you know right. you don't have to bring it up love covers a multitude yeah. of sins yeah um but you you go to a brother with concerns about actual sin and there's either going to be repentance or a multitude of sins are going to be uncovered that people don't quite have the capacity to deal with all at one time mm. and and they erupt with, with craziness. Mm -hmm. um, and that's more often the case than not, because 
sadly, in the church atmosphere today, there are two extremes where churches don't address sin at all, or people nitpick every little thing. Right. And we need, I mean, the biblical way is not nitpick every little thing, but also don't fail to address sin when it's really present. And if sin is really present, address it only because we care about our brothers and sisters, not because we're trying to be better or, or force them to, to be a certain way, you know? And that's what burdens me is because most of the time when I, when I go to people, sincerity of heart, like, Hey, here's what I notice. Um, I apologize if I'm wrong. Just tell me if I'm wrong. I'm mm-hmm. on from this, you know? Um, and I, and I say, Hey, I do have this concern, man, nine times out of 10, it's just hurtfulness that comes back. Yeah, you know, and that's why churches don't do it anymore. Right. It's it's that's the hardest Which part. Which is unfaithful. Yeah. It, it is unloving. Un- it is unloving. I mean, completely. And I think on the other side of that too, if somebody comes to you, mm-hmm. um, even if they're like if they're wrong in their observation, then just be like, hey, let me explain this to you. Not justifying what you're doing, but right. you know. Yeah. Um, and when we talk about forgiveness, like. Christ has forgiven us for so much more than anything that anyone could ever do to us. Yeah. So oh, yeah. why can we not forgive other people? Why not rather be wronged? Well, I think it's because we see that they don't know Christ. <laughs> yeah. Um, because that's why Jesus is so bold to say, if you don't forgive, you are not forgiven. Yeah. And, and this, this heart only comes from rebirth. Mm-hmm. And it is so apparent. And it's one of the sad aspects of of this type of exposing of, of this type of heart is it 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 shows like who loves the lord who who's who the genuine people are in churches across the world it's like how how you how you re- respond the spirit with which you respond like is evident of of what is in your heart you know and it's like if your heart is dark and prideful and and arrogant. And I'm, I know there's there's area there for like sanctification, but yeah. typically I would say, um, you you are humbled when you when God shows you, He chooses you and shows you your sin, and you are broken, and and you are redeemed, and you are forgiven, and and you you see and hear and love the gospel. You cannot turn, and then un, have unforgiveness in your heart towards a brother you can't and that's why jesus is so plain about it that's why everywhere in scripture is about forgiving it's not you know you should practice these things because they're good and, and helpful it's, it's this is a an, an obligation a requirement a a prerequisite to being in the faith like you you are are a forgiving loving humble person and this is, is how a, you live is it a prerequisite to be in the faith or is it or is it a fruit of having received the faith? Mm. I would say it has to be fruit, right? Because how do you do that without? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of tricky to parse that out in Scripture. Well, because right? you're you're forgiven. Yeah. Um, God God chooses you, redeems you. Um, oh, yeah, I, I can see. Okay, so you're saying prerequisite to not be be. be being entered into the faith, right? Not right. front-loading the gospel. That's I mean, not the I mean, area. It's, it's obviously it's at. obviously like a must, uh-huh. right, um, for the Christian life. But a must in the sense of Christ is transforming our heart, not it earns us some degree of salvation, right? right? So it's yeah, interesting to think about. There's this word which I'm gonna pass. Well, you you can try and read it. It was in our book. It's the New Testament word for. Forgive is it's spelled correctly. Carrot Ziminoy. Okay. <laughs> Something to and that it says that the definition. You spelled it in English. That makes it more difficult. Well, it was in the, that's how it was in the book. That's how it was in the book. I would have rather had the Greek letters to look at. Then... <laughs> I figured, but, hey, I tried. And in your head smart. reading. And I probably still would have mispronounced it. So. But it means freely or gra- freely or graciously give. And it's talking that, that it says that that's the word for forget in the New Testament. I don't know if it's what. Yeah. But well, that's if Piper, interesting. If Piper wrote it, it's accurate. Probably. It's right it's, if Piper wrote it. But yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> the whole freely and graciously, I mean, it just takes it away for like you, like the whole, well, I have to feel like you mean it, you know, in order for it, uh, you're, yeah. I have to feel like you're really sorry before I'm going to really forgive you. But that's not 
Okay, That's kind so, of messed up. Yeah. Like, if, <laughs> if, like, how can you do that? Because because then you're basically like, only if I say you mean it, can you possibly? Mean yeah. It? And what if what if Ken is like wholeheartedly sorry for whatever he did? He does a lot. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wow. <laughs> no, but like, <laughs> I am called to freely and not only freely but graciously forgive because I love him. Yeah. You know, and he is my husband and he is my brother in Christ. And I ha- that's what I'm called to do. And again, taking it out of the marriage class- context and putting it into a church or family, I feel like that's how we should be treating everybody freely mm-hmm. and graciously to our family members, like mm-hmm. to my brothers and sisters in Christ, you should freely and graciously want to forgive and, and be. Well, and, if I, and if I can't forgive someone else, it's likely an indication that I'm just holding on to my own rebellion against God and trying to justify it and feeling like everybody's attacking me, even though nobody's attacking me. Right. I've been there. I've felt that. And it really was because I felt like I had to have things my way. And uh, and I loved my sin. So everybody who tried to help me, I, I did not respond well. well I've been there. We've probably all been there, I think. You know, if you haven't, you're a rare breed. <laughs> you know? I think you see that definitely in marriage too. Like yeah. You get set in your ways, and you just know you're right. And- uh-huh. Of course. Well, I I wouldn't I wouldn't take a position that I take unless I think I'm right. Sure. <laughs> you know? Since I'm like usually right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is happy now. <laughs> I learned well. That's, but that's but that's part of humility too. Uh, Speaking your convictions in your mind, um, being bold enough to do that, knowing that you could be wrong, but still being entirely convinced of what you're what you're saying or what you think, and then if you prove to be wrong, humility is you know pride is doubling down. Nope. Yeah. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna, I'm gonna fire have somebody on Facebook. Tell mm. <laughs> Facebook is the best place to have a civil conversation. Like how do we Facebook? <laughs> it's the best place to have a civil conversation. Face church. Yeah. So people, are, there's somebody just being ugly, ugly, ugly. Who claims to be a really mature Christian. Mm. And uh, and I said, I just commented on there. I felt the need to because the world sees this. The person claims to be a Christian. Yeah. They're giving me a bad name because I'm I'm a Christian, right? Um, so I said, look, uh, just hope we're trying to be like Jesus, who taught us to, as long as it, as far as it depends on us, live at peace with all people, you know, forgive um, unconditionally, and uh, and be living sacrifices in the world, like he was a, a living sacrifice for us, and sacrificing his death for us. That kind of comment, and that's where I left it. Like that's all I said, and the comment following that, and this, I was just like. Yeah, I'm not commenting anymore on this because it's a, a lost cause. The comment right after that was, buddy, I'll go toe-to-toe with you when it comes to the Bible any day. <laughs> Thank you for that pugnaciousness. Oh, so man. I will <laughs> gladly step away from this conversation. Right. Oh, there's no need to respond to stuff like that. That's like that's that's the very stuff that reveals us to not be in Christ. That's the opposite of Christian. And people call it Christian. And there are a lot of churches that do that. Right. Call the opposite of biblical Christianity, Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it's all about pugnaciousness and all about uh, stepping to the man and all about fighting those who fight you and hating those who hate you. And that's, you know, that's the heart of flesh. That's not, that's not, that's not the heart of the spirit. Yeah, I seem to remember a scripture where it says they'll know we're Christians by our love. And I, I feel like too many times in churches we're known as Christians by our fights and our separations and our um, ugliness to each other. Um, and then doubtless there will be division in the world. Yeah. Um, Caused by Christ, not yeah, not us. <laughs> right, right. We're not the co- we're, we're not to be the cause of that division. Uh, the gospel divides. Christ mm-hmm. brought a sword. We don't bring that sword. Christ does. Right. We proclaim the gospel of peace, and because of their pride, people don't like the gospel of peace and forgiveness. Right. Um, but it's if we are causing any division, that is pride. What is the source of fights and quarrels among you? 
Is it not your desires that rage within you? Mm -hmm. That's that's the passive. That's mm -hmm. James, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I was even going to say that's where the example used of the nitpicky church that could even be uh, more preferable because if you start with nitpicking, you know, it will get cleared up. It's better to nitpick and and then realize like, hey. Hey brother, you're being a little a little hard on this, you know. Like, but it exposes, right? If you don't address it, everything's undealt, unresolved. Yeah. Like people aren't being sanctified, and people aren't pursuing Christ, and the church is defiled with sin because that's what happens when the eleven, yeah. you know, enters the the lump. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting because even if you are being nitpicky, and you know, sometimes I'm nitpicky, and I don't think I'm being nitpicky, mm -hmm. but I, I reflect on it later and. I was a little nitpicky, okay? <laughs> that happens, uh, probably because I'm a dude. I'm a guy, all right? Um, so even if you are a little nitpicky, there's there's that moment of sanctification. So brother living in sin, hey, I noticed this. Oh, crud, like they reply. Oh, crud, I am living in sin. But, but, but maybe you went a little far on this. Okay, maybe I went a little far on that. Hey, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm sorry, too. And then... Yep. Like there's sanctification that happens both ways. If yep. you just fight, no sanctification happens. It doesn't work that way. Um, no, no doubt in the the messy business of addressing sin, mistakes are going to be made on both sides. But it all works to the glory of God and the betterment of the church. It does, mm -hmm. yeah. especially when when you're talking about love. What is that? What is that verse about a clinging? If you do, that's a Without love, it's like a clanging symbol. Oh, yeah, that's the passage about love. Yeah, yeah. so it's like when you, 13. when you have a offense or you're feeling offended or something and you want to go to your brother or sister, if you don't do it, if you don't do it with love, you are just making noise, you know, that's, yeah. and the rest of your family members, if it's in your marriage or your church, if it's in your church, hear it and see it. And it's uncomfortable and it's loud. And, you know, I, I just picture my kids running through the house, like screaming, you know, and that's when I go, I just can't get out. You know, like, it's just like that ear piercing and hurts your ears, you know, and that's the same thing. Like, why can't it's so hard. But like, if you have an offense, like, be loving about it. Like, know your you should know your church family members and your and your spouse and your children well enough to know that they love me. Like, they love me and I love them. And yeah. I'm offended and you did something that hurt me and I'm going to respond in love and tell you that, you know, <laughs> instead of being the clanging, whatever. And and that's so important all throughout scripture, because isn't there a part in scripture where he says, I, I think he was talking about um, the Lord's Supper or something. It's like, if your brother has offended you first leave and go make things right with your brother and, yep. and you can come back. With mm -hmm. Again, first Corinthians. Yeah. That's chapter 11. You guys are 13. 11. God is so yeah. serious about forgiveness of one another, practicing forgiveness. Yeah. Like yeah. go to your, go, go restore you know, your, your relationship with your brother before you come to me. Like, yeah. like how, how often we get that backwards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was thinking like we need, we need more preaching on love because, again, why is the world hijacking the word love? Because love is such a, 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 an impactful and controversial word based off of what God means by love. And if, if we you know, walk around and say, oh, yeah, we love to love you. Oh, I love you like I love my puppy dog. It's like, no, we, we, we love because Jesus showed us. Like, he condescended to us. Like, if God, we condescending know. Condescending of us. Condescending of us to us. Oh, to us. Oh, there's a big difference. Okay. He condescended to us and to, to acknowledge like the offense that we are. Be so reformed. <laughs> <laughs> the only way. This is the way. This is the this way. Is... Why wouldn't you be so reformed, bro? <laughs> you know, I, I try. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just seeing like the the condescension Life of reformed. Jesus. If, if if we recognize our offense, I mean, how? I mean, I, I use the, the word is powerful. Like, how dare you? How dare you hold an offense against somebody else or, or be offended? You know, like, right. look at what you were when, when, when Jesus came to you and like forgave you. And then you're going to turn to your brother mm -hmm. and, and have such arrogance yeah. and unforgiveness in your heart. And, and that's why I'm, that's why I say like, you know, with observations of fruit, like how does somebody know Jesus and have that type of hardness of heart? Right. And that's, like, I don't see it. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, how can you be 
how can you be in Christ and harbor such bitterness? Yeah, and I like I even reflected on this, like, am I holding any bitterness in my heart? And I searched and searched and searched right. and I couldn't find bitterness in there. Right. Not even not even toward my dad or toward the <laughs> the girlfriend I had. You know? Like I just couldn't find any bitterness oh. there. Right. Uh, not, not not the girlfriend I had while we were together, the other one. Oh, oh wait, no, never mind. <laughs> Elaborate. Whoa, whoa. Excuse me, there's time for some forgiveness over here. <laughs> no, like I was just searching for this bitterness to see if there's any there. Yeah. Like, I couldn't find any. Somebody somebody uh, accused me of being a, a, an angry little punk. <laughs> and I was just like, I actually don't think there's any anger there. I, I like searched my heart. I was like, is there any anger here? No. Yeah. No anger. And, 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 I just, don't, and I don't understand how how anyone could have the love of Christ dwelling within them and harbor any bitterness or or anger. Of course, right. of course, when I was more immature in the faith, I harbored quite a bit of anger, didn't I? Um, well, and I don't know if it was harboring rather than just lashing out in anger, right? Mm-hmm. And something small would happen and because I'm stressed out, anger. But even that happens less and less now. And, right. And I, well, since I've, since I've been in Christ, I don't remember harboring anger. That's something quite different. Mm-hmm. It caused a lot more damage. I, I did for a while. I can yeah. remember just in our own marriage, like, you know, the ups and downs of marriage. But I, I didn't do the forgive and forget, mm. you know, part. I would forgive and then I would tuck it away and it would just kind of fester. And for the longest time, I'm like, why are... Why, why am I so angry? Like, why can't I feel close? We're not even fighting or anything, but why don't I feel close to him anymore? Why do I always just have this, like, whatever? And I, it took a lot of praying and a lot of um, letting go until I realized, like, oh, it's because I resent you for everything that you've ever done to me, ever. And then, yeah, and then I really did have to do a lot of um, praying and, like, because I, I mean, I couldn't just be like, oh, I resent you. Okay, I'm not going to resent you anymore. No, it, it definitely took um, mm-hmm. prayer. And like, I had to really ask God, like, please, like, take this out of me. Like, I don't want it. I didn't want to resent you for, for stuff from the past or whatever. It just would stay there. Mm-hmm. And um, I think once I really dealt with that is when all of a sudden I'm like, it was like clouds coming. I'm like, oh, my marriage isn't always bad or you know yeah, like yeah. Oh, you are i do love you i remember you know, it was like, oh, oh hey there oh, i am pretty awesome and, you know yeah. great person and yeah. such a catch yes, but, but i think that's a constant thing too like i'm it's not like i came to that realization and then it never happened again you know it's like a constant thing with just me personally it's something i struggled with is holding things but i think that um I think everybody should be doing that, like constantly just searching, like, at, like you're saying, am I angry? Do I resent? Yeah. Am I holding something? Like, right. why, why do I feel distant? If you're feeling distant for no reason, why? There has to be a reason, you know? And if right. you're not doing anything to offend me, why am I feeling distant? For Search yeah. your heart, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's very interesting. Those who wish to hold on to their sin are always pointing the finger outwardly. And always, uh, you know, making accusations, name calling outwardly, and they always feel oppressed, even if nobody is oppressing them, because it's it's either their sin mm-hmm. oppressing them, or the chastisement of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, if they want to hold on to that sin, they find somebody to blame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and okay. I and I was that way. Um, were you a believer when you were that way? No, is it, is it, I wasn't a believer when I was that way. That was, that was the way it was before Christ. Yeah. Right? But then somebody comes to Christ, and instead of having their finger pointed at what everybody else is doing wrong, I, guys from the pulpit, oh my gosh, terrible preachers, mm-hmm. right? Always pointing the finger that way toward the congregation, talking about how everybody has failed. Right. And then you get you get a, a sincere preacher in the pulpit, and this is true for anybody, not just a preacher, right? And they read the Bible and they're thinking about how I felt. Even Paul, we read in First Corinthians, is like I'm, I'm metaphorically applying this to myself so that you can do the same, right? I'm figuratively, I'm figuratively applying this to myself and Apollos. <laughs> you know, it's like that's that's the example. Um, when we read the Scripture, our fingers are pointed this way. Like, okay, what is my response to this? And until we're like 
experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit and having a repentant heart, mm-hmm. we have no business trying to teach other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, no business at all. But people all over the world do, you know, and they point the finger that you terrible people, mm-hmm. you terrible nation, you terrible Biden. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, we can make an exception. No, no, we can't. This is the Bible we're talking about. We can't make an exception. Like, no, this is well, what if he's the Antichrist? <laughs> It's a little plug for Revelation. That's funny coming from you, bro. (laughs) (laughs) What have you said, Anderson? Yeah, no, it's 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 all about repentance. Even Jesus, uh, well, John the Baptist first. The Pharisees showed up, and he what what did he say to the Pharisees when he saw you, brood of vipers, (laughs) bear fruit consistent with repentance Mm -hmm. in their words. And that's the fruit we bear is consistent with repentance. We are meek people, uh, living, living out our apology. You know, it's bear the fruit consistent with repentance. Yeah. yeah. What else you got? We're almost out of time. Never. Never. Uh, this is a crossover episode. We need two, two hours. hours. No, because me and Katie's are usually what twenty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so an yeah. hour twenty minutes. That's funny. <laughs> How are new? Let me, let me <laughs> and instead of like filling an opinion here, let me kind of stimulate the conversation a little bit by posing a question. Um, how, how does God oppose the proud? Because Steve brought that up. Um, yeah, God just, opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Yeah, how does he oppose the proud? I think part of it is through that spiritual oppression, the chastisement of the Holy Spirit. Opposing the proud that way. Uh, I also think God opposes the proud by uh, giving them enough rope to hang themselves. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think there's more than that, I'm sure. I'm sure there are many ways God. That, that first one you said, um, do you mean like feeling spiritually distant from the Lord? Is that what you mean by that? The chastisement of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, as well, and the chastisement of the Holy Spirit. Get spanked. Get spanked by the Holy Yeah, discipline. And I think God does that for his children. I think yeah. that's particular to his children. Like you're, if you're experiencing. Because he loves Yeah, if you're, if you're experiencing chastisement of, of the Holy Spirit, man, be encouraged yes. by that. You have eternal life. Yes. <laughs> okay. yes. You, you are in Christ. But if, if you're just hanging yourself. And you, you don't feel the Holy Spirit working on you. Uh, evaluate your life. Mm-hmm. Test yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. Right. Because uh, you might not be. Right. Right. Yeah. Got to have more thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I, I, I'm not a very deep person. So when, you, when I ask you a question. Well, I that's why I kind of mixed up the two because. Yeah. I think I think you were talking a little bit about reprobate, and, and then I said bringing up like like discipline from a loving father. So like totally mixed the two over there. So I, I was well. I'm just like when I was talking about the whole the period of my life when I was full of resentment and didn't even know it. Yeah. I mean, I was a child of God, but I did feel I felt angry and I felt alone and I felt distant. Like I didn't mm. want to read the Bible mm. and I didn't want to go to church and I didn't. I didn't really care. So was that because I was, was, (laughs) (laughs) but was that, was that Christ opposing me because I was being proud, you know, and making me feel alone and making me, I don't know. Well, I don't, I don't know. Does God make his people feel alone? Well, if he leaves, like, no, he doesn't leave, but you know, yeah. does he ever, do you think he ever withdraws makes his, yeah, withdraws his presence? I've experienced that. So again, not, not testifying to my theology about, you know, my experiences, but I've, I've been there. So I don't yeah. know if it's an extra biblical feeling. I would say that he does, you know, um, when, when when we talk about and this is a whole other topic we won't get into, but being baptized by double the, episode, <laughs> double episode, being filled with or baptized by the Holy Spirit, this like this this like controversial idea through the, the you know is it Luke and Acts or just Luke, um, 
Actually, yeah, it's both. Yeah. Um, this this idea of believers being baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, this command: be filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and like like this 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 detaching, this separation, this um, this. I would almost go to even, and I'm, I'm I don't know, right application here, but like going to passages like when David's talking about, like don't take your don't take your spirit from me. Like he pleads with him, you know, just like like be present with me and and not that God ever actually like we've talked about leaves a place or a location right. wherever or whenever it is right. but he does there's a separation this 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 what is it what is the withdrawal or the distancing of God's presence how does that work out I don't know well, but it, it it's tangible it's real I think that too yeah. because what when I was taught, I think I told you about this last week. You told too charismatic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it came, all of that resentment and, and loneliness and whatever in my own life came to like a head because yeah. I can just remember being there. I'm so exasperated. Like I couldn't figure things out. I just couldn't get through to you, you know, like I you just, <laughs> this isn't my fault, but I finally did. And I finally like verbally, like, laid it down and told God, like, you deal with this. Like, I don't, I can't anymore, you know? And it came to that point where it was almost like he, I was separated enough, just enough to realize like, oh, I give up, you know, like you do it, you take care of it. And then all of a sudden it was, I mean, it wasn't like instant, but very quickly I saw myself changing and things started to change for the better. Mm-hmm. So that's why when he said, like, how do they pose a pride? I was definitely being prideful, you know, and not even knowing it really. You know, I was just being hurt all the time. It was always me. It was always him pointing his finger at me from my eyes. And then when I finally just couldn't do it, like, I, he'll never learn. I'm just never going to be able to teach him how to love me. You know, and finally I'm like, <laughs> too stubborn. Yeah, <laughs> just too stubborn. You got to fix him. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> Uh, and I was just like, oh man, have I been holding on to everything, you know? Yeah. So I don't know if that's opposing my pride, but it felt like yeah. it. I think there are, you know, seasons. Like if we become prideful as children of God, mm-hmm. there are seasons where He will probably withdraw His presence. You know, if if we could get it, what that means, right? Even, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, probably seasons in which He does that. There, there's also a possible scenario somebody makes a profession of faith but doesn't actually come to Christ and experiences a long season of doubt and darkness and experiences a revival, right? Revival. But that's actually the moment when Christ brought them into the kingdom. And so the mm-hmm. conversion actually happened later than the profession of faith. And so mm-hmm. that's a possible scenario, too. Right? Um, I feel like that's my story. Yeah. Because I I gave my life to Christ at seven. Yeah, yeah you gave your life to Christ. <laughs> and then yeah. I didn't really... But no conversion happened. No. Right. I mean... I might have been acting good or whatever, you know, but I don't think I really experienced that conversion until I was about 18. Like, I don't, there's a definite difference in those two points of my life that I can see. Well, and there there are people who, you grow up in a Southern Baptist church, walk the aisle if you want to get to heaven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Go! Go. If you don't want to go, go to hell, hey, then I'll go with you. Let's do this thing. You know, I'll drag Let's you down the aisle. Christians together. Or, oh, all my friends are going and getting baptized. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Right? Or I get a cool t-shirt. I get a cool I t-shirt. t-shirt. Yeah. You've done this twice already. Come on. I want another t-shirt. <laughs> I want another t-shirt. <laughs> so, so you you go down the aisle and you you pray the sinner's prayer, make a profession of faith, and stand up before the church. Oh, our new brother or so and so, here's your cool T-shirt. Let's dunk you in the <laughs> you know body slam you. Oh, oh. I'm baptized. All right. Um, <laughs> and you didn't actually experience conversion. You got wet and it didn't stick. Right? <laughs> didn't stick. <laughs> um, so you commit apostasy later in life. You turn 16 or 18 or whatever. You leave the church because the church isn't working for me. And you go through some years. And however many years go by, you spend that in darkness and 
in sin and living worldly life because you didn't actually come to Christ when you made a profession of faith. You made a profession of faith and then exited the community of faith. Mm -hmm. so that's called mm -hmm. apostasy. You're welcome, Presbyterians. I took your view on that. <laughs> all right. So you exit the community of faith as apostasy. And then years later, it's you start to feel guilty about your sin. You don't feel guilty about your sin unless you either have somebody pressuring you or the Holy Spirit's getting a hold. You don't feel guilty about your sin for the Holy right. Spirit gets you, right? So the Holy Spirit gets you, you start feeling guilty about your sin and you repent and you return to the church. That's the moment of your conversion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, you know, if that's your story. And there are a lot of people with that story today. Right. That's yeah, rebellion against God, but I made a profession of faith but then God actually gets me. And that just goes to show you that it's not my work that accomplishes this. It's God's every time. Yep. It's like the camp high. Yeah. When you go to oh, youth yeah. camp and everybody gets saved. Everybody's crying. And then uh, a week later, <laughs> half of them don't come to church anymore. And they're yeah. right back where they started. Yeah. And it's, there's no change. Lasting not cool. Change well, they got good that. music and really yeah. passionate, charismatic preachers. And the yeah. lights are just right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, anybody can get an adrenaline rush. Okay. <laughs> Um, that is not the same thing as being saved. <laughs> uh, everybody has a spiritual experiences. Everybody can experience God in some way because of his common grace. Those things do not amount to salvation. Um, when you come to Christ, look, if you, if you experience the equivalent of a camp high, your adrenaline gets rushed and you're passionate, like right out the gate, you probably didn't come to Christ probably some kind of adrenaline rush mm -hmm. right uh, no if somebody comes to christ christ comes in starts shifting stuff around and the sanctification in most cases it, it happens slowly not this once here's all your passion but slowly because god is growing roots not just causing immediate flourishing right, right. on the surface so that the plant can die no he's giving you roots first <laughs> and so just know if if you if you experience this explosion of faith all at once and sorry, charismatic. So <laughs> if, you, if you experience this explosion of faith all at once, um, it's probably a little more shallow. Yeah. If, if you, if you've been given faith at all. Um, but if you've experienced a slow progression of sanctification and being made complete, God has given you roots and those roots will bear much more fruit than can this short burst of, of you know, flourishing. I was, I was one of those, those camp guys. And I, to date, even as a maturing believer, don't know exactly what happened and when the only thing I'm sure about at that camp is the weight of my sin and the, and the grace of God was evident. Like I, mm. I was, you want know, to speak charismatic. <laughs> <laughs> I had the weight of my sin. Like, like God pressed me down to my knees at that stage. You know, it's the typical, like come up if you want to, you know, if you're feeling convicted or whatever. And, and I, I, I did, but like, man, did I, I have such a burden, such a conviction and the weight of my sin just pushed me down to my knees where God did or whatever happened. And I, I, my face was, and this wasn't like, I didn't have a theology <laughs> and I, I had my face just pressed to the ground. I was crying and, and it was legitimate um, as far as my conviction. I don't know at what point God saved me. Was it then? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you but, were saved before the foundation of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Why y'all be all reformed, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming back at me sometime. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a different. There's a reason we use two different terms: salvation and conversion. Because those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, those who are saved, are saved from the foundation of the world. But we experience conversion at a moment. We're supposed to work out our salvation. It's true. Yeah. I mean, you already have the salvation. You just got to work it out. <laughs> See? See? Thanks for proving that point. Technical. <laughs> Just gotta pay attention to the grammar. Come on. <laughs> no, no, I slept through English class. <laughs> yeah, I think it be can become dangerous when you let emotions uh, predict your spiritual life, like yeah. or run it. Um, I, Elizabeth Elliot, who I love, she was saying, you know, even if you aren't feeling like worshiping, mm -hmm. still worship yeah. because it doesn't depend on your feelings; it depends on who God yeah. is. Yeah, and that's where you get people who have ups and downs and we need to close out this episode pretty soon people have ups and downs spiritual highs and spiritual lows and spiritual highs and spiritual lows and it's like you are 
if that describes your spirituality and your Christian life, you your faith is in you, not in Christ, because Christ right. is consistent. Yep. And, uh, and he teaches us consistency in the faith, some level of gravitas in the faith. Uh, we stand on, on his foundation, not on, on the rock, not on the, uh, not on the sand, which shifts, but on, on the rock, which doesn't move, right? As a sermon on the mount. Um, that's where, our, that's where our, our feet are. That's where our faith is. Yeah. All right, y'all. It's been fun. Mm-hmm. It's been real. It's been fun real. Been real fun. Real fun. Oh, real fun. That's that's the correct order. All right. Talking about grammar. <laughs> Greek majors, man. Oh, always man. reading backwards. <laughs> always reading backwards. Always trying to sound like Yoda. What's wrong with you? All right. Thank you so much for joining us this episode of the Black Top Pulpit um, and Secret Women Stuff. Oh, yeah. That cool music. <laughs> yes. Uh, engineering that sound was fun, by the way. I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, thank you for joining us. Please check out thechurchofsunsites.com. Uh, check out the resources there for you, Bible studies, past sermons. Be sure to check out Steve's sermon. He is now a bona fide elder of the Church of Sunsites. Uh, yeah, Steve. Um, and uh, be sure to click that donate button and pray for us. Uh, thank you again for joining us. We'll catch you next time.